Hey, I'm Lee from Dublin, Ireland. I'm Nick, Showtime Bellata from Rhode Island. I'm Blake from Oakland, California. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Every year we make our intern listen to literally tens of thousands of comedy albums. We basically make them listen until their ears bleed. And at the end of those 10,000 hours our intern becomes a comedy-choosing master, selecting only the finest comedy of the year. For this, the Bullseye Comedy Special. Over the next hour, Bullseye is featuring the best stuff from comedy specials and comedy albums released in 2012. Dimitri Martin ponders what the word OK really stands for. Maybe it's okie-dokie. It's all these situations that would sound different. Are you okie-dokie? <laughs> yeah, I'm okie-dokie. Thank you. John Mulaney apologizes for his terrible driving skills. If you're ever on the highway behind me, uh, I hear you honking. And I also don't want me to be doing what I'm doing. I don't like that I'm in that lane either. And I sure would like to get out of it. And Maria Bamford performs in front of an audience of two, her parents. I wanted to teach you guys how to play a new game, something me and my family play. Oh, wait a minute. You are my family. (laughs) Plus Jim Gaffigan, Aziz Ansari, Hannibal Burris, Kyle Kinane, Paul F. Tompkins, James Adomian, Doug Benson, Louis Black, the ladies of Garfunkel and Oates, and an excerpt from one of the best comedy sets, maybe ever, by Tignataro. It's tragic, touching, and super funny all at the same time. All of that coming up on the 2012 Bullseye Comedy Special. Let's go. The Bullseye Comedy Special features language that may be unsuitable for those with sensitive ears. We've bleeped the most offensive words, but if you're listening, you've been warned. We're going to kick things off with Aziz Ansari. Only a couple years ago, Aziz was an up-and-comer, but these days he's a stand-up comedy heavyweight. Well, actually, in the literal sense, he's a pretty skinny guy, but lately he's been a little worried about that. A few months ago, I was actually worried that I was getting chubby. I saw a photo of me on the Internet, and in the comments, someone wrote, Whoa, who ate Aziz Ansari? (laughs) Which, hold on, doesn't make any sense. If someone ate me, they wouldn't assume my form all of a sudden. Why do you look like that? I just ate him. But the person was right. I gained 12 pounds. So I started exercising at the gym, lost the weight right away. But I didn't always like the stuff the people at the gym would tell me. They would say things like, hey, Z's, you see this new study on Yahoo News? It says any food you eat after 11 o'clock goes straight to your belly. You should cut out those late night snacks. And I would always want to say, oh, really? There's this other study I heard about that says uh, if you have a lot of alcohol in your system and you eat a quesadilla at 3 in the morning, it's delicious. <laughs> Yeah, I did that study last night, twice. But I love food. I love going out to eat at restaurants and stuff. It's really something I like a lot. I was eating at one of my favorite restaurants in New York not too long ago, and I was having dinner with a friend. He's like, Aziz, what have you been up to? And I said, shut up. 50 Cent is sitting over there, and I need to hear everything he says. And 50 Cent did not disappoint. 50 Cent, the rapper, ordered a grapefruit soda. The waiter brings him a grapefruit soda. 
And then 50 Cent said the greatest thing anyone could ever say when they see a grapefruit soda. He looks at the waiter and he goes, Why isn't this purple? (laughs) And it took me a few seconds. And then I realized, oh my God, 50 Cent has no idea what a grapefruit is. (laughs) Excuse me, everybody in the restaurant, shut up. A waiter's about to explain to a grown man what a grapefruit is. You realize how amazing this is? There are parents that aren't there when their children learn what a grapefruit is. I am there for that moment in rapper 50 Cent's life. This guy leaves the restaurant, he's going to know about a new fruit. And the exchange was just glorious. The waiter struggling to explain the concept of a grapefruit to a man who just didn't get it. He's like, no, you don't understand. They're two different things. Grape, grapefruit, grape, grapefruit. I know grapes are fruits. Why do you keep saying it like that? No, it's just one word, grapefruit. You know, it's just one, it's a different, I get it. Grapefruit, apple fruit, orange fruit, carrot, vegetable. No, that's not it at all. And it just blew my mind. How does 50 Cent not know what a grapefruit is? This guy's been rich for so long. He has to run into a grapefruit every now and then. I do okay. I see grapefruits every day. What happens when he sees a grapefruit? Is he just like... What's up with those oranges? They're all red and... And they're big as... They're looking at me where shoot those... Aziz Ansari from his album, Dangerously Delicious. Louis Black has done a lot of ranting over the years. He ranted during the show he hosted for Comedy Central, Louis Black's Root of All Evil. He rants during his appearances on The Daily Show. He rants all through his stand-up tours. Nothing is sacred to Louis Black, especially not his cell phone. I used to have an iPhone, um, and it was a great computer. It was in no way a phone because the carrier was AT&T and AT&T is a carrier in much the same way as a mosquito carries malaria. I'd been better off with a Dixie cup and a string. I finally um, took it over to the... uh, Apple store to see if there was something they could do. And um, let me just say, if you're interested in what life is like on other planets, you're going to want to get to the Apple store. They are not of us. They have no genitals. (laughs) It's why they stand so close. They're sniffing you. (laughs) It's how they get their data. (laughs) Yes, it is. So I was standing in the Apple store and a capon came up to me. I see you have an iPhone. How many applications have you downloaded into your phone? (laughs) 
Well, I haven't downloaded any. Um, um, I came here to see if you had a, an app uh, that would turn this piece of into a phone. Now, if you can do me a favor and start running, um, I want to see if it works as a missile. John Bowman, uh, my good friend in a, in a great comic, um, told me of a story. He went to the Apple store to, to do some business, and he gave the woman, uh, uh, the, the sales lady, a, uh, um, a credit card. And she looked at it, and sh she went, John Bowman. He said, uh, no, it's John Bowman. And she said, John Bowman. They know. They know better than we do. Lewis Black from his album, In God We Rust. It's the 2012 Bullseye Comedy Special. I'm Jesse Thorne. Dimitri Martin's the kind of person who's obsessed with puzzles and linguistic and cultural ironies. And you probably saw him explore those on his show, Important Things with Dimitri Martin. He usually had a big sketch pad, slides projected overhead, a piano to riff on. This year, though, he put the theatricality aside and recorded an album of straight-up observational comedy. Though, as you listen, it doesn't take long to notice that Dimitri thinks about the world just a little bit differently. When I trip, I feel like that's the world saying, come here for a sec. <laughs> just pulling me closer for a second. Yeah, what do you want? I just want to remind you that you're uncoordinated. I'm aware of that. Thank you. Can I go now? Yeah, you can go. But never, ever try to outrun me. Okay, world, I'll see you later. Yeah, I'll see you in about 50 years. Sometimes I feel like the world is just being mean. Like when it's windy out. I'll just be walking on the street, and it's like the world saying to me, Hey, you like air? Yeah? Yeah? You need that to breathe? Here's some air right in your face. There you go. <laughs> breathe up, stupid. <laughs> I don't deserve this. <laughs> What's the long form of okay? I wonder what okay is short for. Maybe it's okie-dokie. We've just been abbreviating okie dokie. That would be interesting. Just all these situations that would sound different. Are you okie dokie? <laughs> yeah, I'm okie dokie. Thank you. The surgeon comes out. She's gonna be okie dokie. Your behavior in this office is not okie dokie. Fight somebody. Okie dokie, let's do this. <laughs> Okie dokie, tough guy. Okie dokie, okie dokie, easy, easy peasy, Japanesey. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm cleaning up my apartment, I feel like my dustpan is willing to help out, but only to a point. 
I'm like, okay, just a little bit more here. We're almost finished. And the dustpan's like, I'm done right now. No, 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 come on, we just got this last bit. No, I'm not picking that up. The hell you're not. We're going perpendicular. You're picking this up. Dustpan's like, maybe you didn't hear me. I'm out, man. You take the broom and just redistribute that around the room. Dimitri Martin, from his album, entitled Stand-Up Comedian. Doug Benson has been doing stand-up for over 25 years. He's had TV specials, he hosts his own comedy podcast. In other words, he's a pro. But no matter how much experience you might have, there's always someone telling you how to do your job. So people come up to me all the time and they're like, Doug, I've got a joke for you. Here's a joke you can tell in your act. This is perfect for your act, Doug. And... It's like they don't understand how stand-up comedy works, how modern stand-up comedy works. Like, I don't just hang out in public places hoping that people will come up to me and give me jokes to tell. I mean, that'd be pretty sweet if that's how it worked. Uh, but it's not. I, I come up with all this crap on my own, you know. And uh, What do you mean bullshit? <laughs> it's a very argumentative gentleman in the audience. You didn't, you didn't write that stuff down on that little piece of paper. But like a lady came up to me in a bar recently and she was like an older lady and she had a uh, turban on. You know, she had that very distinguished older lady with a turban on look. And she's like, she's like, I have a joke for you. And I was like, there's no way that you have a joke for me that is gonna, <laughs> that is gonna work out. And uh, <laughs> so... I, I was like, you know, but what the hell? Might as well hear this joke that this lady thinks is good for me. So I go, okay, what's, what's the joke? And she goes, what did the zero say to the... Now, at this point, as I know that she's telling me a riddle, that is not, that is not how joke works. Jokes work. Jokes aren't... <laughs> Jokes aren't questions, you know what I mean? Like, if, if they were, you know, this, it'd be like riddles. It'd be like we were telling riddles, and for the entire show, you guys would be like, what? Where? Who's there? Instead of laughter and applause followed by silence. Which is what you're supposed to do. If you want to participate in the show, you should go to a dueling piano bar. Which I would go to. I would go to a dueling piano bar if it was to the death. <laughs> then I would be all over that <laughs> They had to kill each other with pianos. Like the Hunger Games. <laughs> Hunger Games is the, the least exciting movie ever made about children trying to kill each other. I know, it's a very controversial position I've taken. <laughs> I'm going to stand behind it. Oh, so anyway, so... I let the lady finish her f***ing riddle. <laughs> she goes, what did the zero say to the eight? And I go, I, I give up. What did the zero say to the eight? And she says, hey, nice belt, face. <laughs> Thank you.
didn't say that. I fixed her terrible riddle. Her riddle would not work. I punched it up. I made it funny. Her version was, what, what did the zero say to the eight? Hey, f- face. That doesn't even make sense. That's a, like a New Yorker cartoon. I added the part about the belt because an eight looks like a zero with a really tight belt on. I thought of it when I was cinching up my belt in the mirror and I went, ooh, infinity. Doug Benson from his album, Smug Life. After a break, John Mulaney apologizes for his terrible driving skills. If you're ever on the highway behind me, uh, I hear you honking. And I also don't want me to be doing what I'm doing. I don't like that I'm in that lane either. And I sure would like to get out of it. Plus, Jim Gaffigan, Tig Notaro, Hannibal Burris, and much, much more. It's the Bullseye Comedy Special from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Public Radio International. Bullseye is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. It's the Bullseye Comedy Special. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're hearing selections from the best comedy specials and comedy albums released in 2012, as picked by the staff here at Bullseye. You can find our full list with purchase links at MaximumFun.org. Ladies, have you ever had a fella sing you a song? You get a little weird, right? Kate Micucci and Ricky Lindholm of the comedy duo Garfunkel and Oates have some advice in song form. Where do I look when someone's serenading me? I look them in the eyes and it feels really awkward. Am I supposed to stare at him the entire song? If I look away, will he know I'm bored? Can he just look beyond the horizon like a cowboy in a Folgers commercial? Or close his eyes like he's feeling real deep so I can close my eyes like I'm going to sleep? Hey girl, hey girl, hey girl in the moonlight. Why doesn't he break eye contact? Doesn't he feel stupid singing at me like that? He plays guitar as well as me, and that's not saying much. He sings like he's in 1983, like Richard Marks, but tough. Hey girl, hey girl. Hey girl in the moonlight Everybody Hey girl Hey girl Hey girl in the moonlight Where do I look when someone's serenading me? I look them in the eyes and it feels really awkward Hey girl in the moonlight Garfunkel and Oates from their album Slippery When Moist Hannibal Burris has been traveling like crazy this year. He's been doing stand-up all over the country and sitting in as a sidekick on the Eric Andre show for Adult Swim. With all this flying, Hannibal's surprised at what does and doesn't make it through airport security. I don't like them at all. They seem so dedicated to keeping bottled water out of the sky. (laughs) That's their main thing. It's probably easier to get cocaine on the plane than a bottle of water. Probably the only way you couldn't get cocaine on the planet, they looked at it and said, what is this, powdered water? (laughs) No, it's cocaine. Go right ahead. Enjoy your flight. (laughs) 
because a terrorist tried a liquid bomb thing. Now, nobody can bring liquids on a plane. One person messed it up for everybody. But I feel like that's being reactive instead of proactive because terrorists are always trying new stuff. So next time, it's going to be some type of Snickers bomb. And after that happens, you can't bring full-size Snickers on a plane anymore. You can only bring miniature Snickers because one person messed it up for everybody. Now you have security trying to negotiate your Snickers situation. Hey, is it all right if I bring four miniature Snickers? That's about the same size as the full-size Snickers security. Don't play with me. This is not a game. We are saving the world one Snickers bar at a time for you freedom in America. Relax, man. I'm just hungry. Stop yelling at me. <laughs> you can't bring the bottle of water, sir. Why not? It's not bomb water. What if I sip the water to show you that it's not bomb water? But what if it's sippable bomb water? That's what such thing is sippable bomb water. You're being silly right now, man. That's what such thing is bomb water. One day they stopped me for additional screening, but the only screening they did, they rubbed the cloth on my hands, and then they went and tested, they came back and said, all right, you're good. <laughs> okay, cool, good thing I didn't have bomb juice on my hands. Was that, was that the bomb juice test? What if I did have bomb juice on my hands? What if one of my friends, hey, Hannibal, before you go to the airport, you want to hold a bomb real quick? <laughs> and I said, you know what? I never held a bomb before. I'm open to new experience. Let me... That's pretty cool. Thanks, man. That's real cool. Then I get to the airport. They test my hands. They say, you have bomb juice on your hands. Is there anything you'd like to tell us? Yeah, one of my friends, he got a bunch of bombs. And he said, you want to hold a bomb real quick before you go to the airport? And I never held a bomb before, so I thought it'd be something cool to do. I made sure not to bring the bomb with me, because I know y'all hate that. So I want to just hold a bomb real quick. I think you need to chill out and stop being jealous because I got all types of friends. Some of my friends own bombs and let me hold them. You need to open up your social circle and meet some new people. <laughs> I hate when they try to make conversation with me. Are you going to New York for business or pleasure? I'm going to New York to talk about you in front of strangers. <laughs> so I guess both. Huh? I don't want my glasses in my driver's license photo, so one guy goes, can you take your glasses off? Yeah, 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 sure, Captain America. It's still me. <laughs> Who are you catching like that? Are you seriously finding terrorists that only use glasses as a disguise? <laughs> and you, the TSA agent, are cracking those cases? Can you take your glasses off? Damn it, no! How'd they find me? <laughs> Fifteen years, this disguise was foolproof. I like the simplicity of it. I think I needed the fake nose and mustache to go with it. Ah! Yeah, dude, it's still me, man. You want me to put the shirt on that I had on my license photo also? It's from eight years ago. I don't have that shirt anymore. One time, I went to the DMV. The woman working at the DMV said, Oh, wow. You don't turn 29 until your birthday. So wait, do I kill myself or do you kill yourself? Because we both can't be on this world together. One of us has to go. I'm willing to make the sacrifice just to not be in a place where you are. If this was olden times, you'd be tied to a cinder block and thrown in the ocean because your stupidity would endanger the rest of the population. Hannibal Burris from his album, Animal Furnace. 
Have you ever seen somebody do something like a magic trick and you just can't believe that you actually saw a person do that thing? James Adomian, who's a stand-up comedian, is kind of like that with impressions. And unlike most people who are like that with impressions, James Adomian is really funny, too. Lately, James has been paying a lot of attention to sports. When I watch sports today, I listen for the broadcasters. That's the most important part to me as a sports broadcasters because they don't speak in a way that anyone else in our country sounds like. You watch a sporting event and they're like, oh, the Chicago Bears taking up an album of 20 yard line. <laughs> 20 yard? What is a yard line? A little measure of the yard stick. <laughs> They don't sound like that anywhere in our country. Not even in Philly. And they have the weirdest accents possible. That is, a, that is an artificial voice that they have to teach to each other in broadcasting school. And it must just be like boot camp for your tongue where they're like, all right, brackets. Broadcasting school. I don't care little what for ESPN, let me see sports, or let me see sports. Little fact sports, whatever. Whatever your dreams are, your dreams better come through my mouth. Rule number one everything your mother taught you in the English language is wrong. Rule number two at any point in time, I can substitute any letter to the what with a letter L. Rule number three this is the new alphabet. You better learn it, maggots. You always hit those call letters. But their favorite thing to pronounce in any sporting event is an unusual athlete's name. Like, Rafflesberger will pick. You just like saying Rafflesberger because it sounds like a demon in a children's story. Watch out, the Rafflesberger will get you. Actually, that's pretty accurate. That's a good warning. But their favorite one to pronounce is Manny Pacquiao, the boxer. Just so, like, they love to sit on that. Ooh, I, like, Jim Lampley, the first time he saw Manny Pacquiao's name, he must have just been like, ooh, how do you say that? Pac, Pac, Pacquiao. Oh, God, that's gonna be good. Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao. Well, it sounds, it sounds like a man's fist hitting a man's face. Manny Pacquiao. Oh, God, now he's in the back of my throat. Now he's on top, Pacquiao is victorious. Oh, God, he's all the way down there. Hold me, Sugar Ray Leonard. That's how I watch sports. I'm not crazy, it's just all the characters I do. But that's only in our in our country. They sound that dumb. I, I, I saw the World Cup, and when I, I discovered soccer when they had the World Cup on TV a couple years ago. And you're going to see it in the London Olympics soon. Uh, and that is, like, the British announcers for sporting events do not sound as dumb as Americans. You'll watch something, and it's like, they'll be like, there's the ignominious side of the UK goalie fishing the ball out of the back of his own net. That can't be anything but embarrassing to the British people, the parliament, and the crown. And you're like... Holy sh- that guy reads multiple newspapers. 
It's like that for regular like like news as well. Like the American guy will be the anchor who's like, yeah, well, for more news about what's happening internationally, let's go to our British reporter on the ground because it's always a British reporter on the ground. Jalud Summers at Baghdad. Thank you, Jonathan Summers. Bang dad. <laughs> Coalition forces today engaged remnants of the Republican Guard, approximately 90 kilometers south of Fallujah. <laughs> and you're like, wow, that's a lot of information. It sounds like fact. And he's like, yep, that's it. <laughs> you can say anything you want in the cadence of a British reporter, and it just sounds true. I'm standing here in Tripoli, where moments ago, Muammar Gaddafi was taken up in a whirlwind and crowned king of the unicorns on the planet Jupiter. <laughs> there you got it, folks. Muammar Gaddafi now probably the unicorns. Little panel of Jupiter. Good luck to him. <laughs> James Adomian from his album Low Hanging Fruit. It's the Bullseye Comedy Special. I'm Jesse Thorne. So it turns out that God wrote a memoir. Well, it was one of those as-dictated-to kind of things, uh, ghostwritten by the Emmy Award-winning comedy writer David Javerbaum. So we're going to share some of God's real thoughts on Noah from The Last Testament, a memoir by God. Of all the people of his time, only Noah found grace in my eyes. For he was wise and upright and honest. And as it says in the text, he walked with God. Though in truth, I wish that now and again he would have jogged with God, for he had a bit of a paunch. Noah was a great man. He had a lovely wife, nameless, and three terrific children, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verily, their domestic interactions had a real my three sons feel to them, for they were always courteous and hokey, and unironically used words like jeepers. So I told Noah my plan and how I meant to save him and his family by having him build an ark of the dimensions 300 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits. Here I must enter a plea that mankind at least consider reinstating the cubit system, which remains the most marvelous method of measurement ever invented, putting the metric and imperial systems to shame. Four digits a palm, seven palms a cubit, six cubits a reed, two reeds a nindan, and ten nindans an aslu. I defy thee to devise units of greater common sense and utility, especially to anyone with even a passing interest in the irrigation of millet. And Noah did wondrous work constructing the ship, considering I bade him make it of gopher wood. That is the phrase used in Genesis, and scholars ever since have debated exactly what type of wood was so denoted. And the answer is, no type at all. For gopher wood was at that time a euphemism for lead-bolted plate steel. And now I come to one of the bigger revelations. I did not ask Noah to put two of every animal on board the ark. I know that is what it says in the Bible, but consider, a phylogenetically complete double bestiary contained within a 450,000 cubic cubit watercraft? Why, in but a medium-sized zoo, the animals themselves occupy nearly 450,000 cubic cubits. And that is to say nothing of the space required for their food and shelter and their grazing and roaming areas. And of course, a zoo contains but a tiny fraction of the total number of global species. I could go on and on. 
No, I did not say, put two of every animal on board the ship. What I said was, put two of any animal on board the ship. For I knew Noah and his family are in for a long, treacherous voyage, and that they would be confined indoors for over five months, and that under such circumstances it would be comforting for all aboard, particularly the kids, to bring with them two dogs, or two cats, or even two hamsters. I recommended dogs, but I left the choice to Noah, for I have never been a cat god. As it happened, Noah did choose two dogs. Cocker Spaniel puppies he purchased the day before the rains came, Sparky and Pilla. But hundreds of years later, when I dictated the story to Moses upon Mount Sinai, he misheard me as saying, two of every animal. I corrected him immediately, but we both found the implication of the phrase amusing, and for the next hour or so, we made much mirth of the idea of a ship containing so many animals. For Moses would say, it sounds unbearable to me, and I would say, really? To me, it sounds perfect. And he would say, you're a doggone liar, <laughs> so forth. And this brought us so much happiness that we kept it in, never thinking that any of thee could possibly take it seriously. A six-day creation, talking snakes, 969-year-old men, such things are clearly factual, fall well within the realm of the credible. But two of every animal on a single boat? No. All other animals, the beasts and the birds of the air, and the creeping things of the earth, all of them were zapped frozen and left floating in ice cubes until the whole thing was over. From the Last Testament, a memoir by God, written by David Javerbaum and given voice by the actor and comedian Seth Morris. That one's from our show earlier this year. You might say there are a couple of themes to Jim Gaffigan's comedy. Fast food, his laziness, the places where you go when you combine those two things. And so when he goes to the gym, Gaffigan can't help but notice everyone who looks so much better than he does. You ever see a bodybuilder at the gym? That's exciting, right? I always get nervous. I'm like, uh, do you live here? Are you lifting the weights or eating them? How'd you get like that? And when I say bodybuilder, I'm not talking about somebody who's muscular. I'm talking about the guys that have gotten so big, people are afraid to tell them it looks weird. What do you think of that? It's great. It's perfectly normal. I'm not too muscular. No, no. Do you want money? Please don't kill me. You ever see those bodybuilding events on ESPN? The guys are up there like, ah! And everyone in the audience is like, yay, yay! Clap of the macho! We'll tear up our arms! What are those people doing in the audience? At those? Why are they there? It's way better than a movie, huh? I like the guy with the big muscles who is flexing who looks exactly like the ten other guys with the big muscles who are flexing. I wonder what this next guy's gonna do. You think he's gonna flax? Because that's all they do. They go up there and they flax. You know, there's no talent portion. Never see a bodybuilder playing the harp or anything. Because those poor guys can't bend their arms like that. He's going to get his ass kicked for this joke. I'm jealous, you know. I am jealous of bodybuilders. Because even if I did work out a lot, I know I would never achieve the title of Mr. Universe, which is the highest accolade you can receive in bodybuilding. Really, Mr. Universe? Shouldn't we have consulted other planets about this? 
We have the audacity to decide who Mr. Universe is, and we pick someone who probably can't name the planets in our solar system. <laughs> Think about it this way. The president of the United States is selected by an electoral college based on popular vote. The secretary general of the United Nations is chosen by a community of countries. Mr. Universe. Five Italian guys from Long Island. <laughs> that sell exercise, of course. Mr. Universe. Schwarzenegger, Arnold, he was uh, Mr. Universe a couple times. You think he ever viewed being governor as kind of a step down? <laughs> this is so easy. I used to rule the entire solarverse. One measly state. I can't believe he's doing an impression of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Why is it everyone in the world can do an impression of Arnold? Yet he can't do an impression of someone that can pronounce the word California. <laughs> Got it? Got, this is so hard. We need water. <laughs> it would be weird to have that on your resume, right? Oh, I see here in 2006, you were Mr. Universe. You know, here you're just going to be a bouncer. <laughs> if you want, you could be Mr. Bouncer. Or, or Mr. Bounceverse. Please don't kill me. I admire people that go to the gym. I just can't get there, you know? People are always like, don't you feel good when you go to the gym? Not at all. There's too many people in shape, you know? I go to McDonald's, I feel great. In McDonald's, I'm like Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right! The skinny guy is here. That's right, folks. This is what a size 38 waist looks like. <laughs> Read it and weep, y'all. <laughs> McConaughey, he's in that type of shape where he can touch his belly. Yeah? But if you're pudgy and you touch your belly, people are like, ew. Because <laughs> it usually means you're about to burp. <laughs> Good empanada. There's some thin people at my gym. I saw this one woman. She was so skinny, you could actually see her ribs. And all I could think was, I haven't had a McRib in forever. <laughs> those are delicioso. Jim Gaffigan from his album, Mr. Universe. John Mulaney is one of our absolute favorite stand-ups here at MaximumFun.org. We only wish he had the time to do more of it. He spends a big chunk of his time as a writer on Saturday Night Live. As an SNL writer, Mulaney's based in New York, and as a result, he doesn't drive very often. Or, well. I'm a terrible driver. I know nothing about cars. I meant to learn about cars, and then I forgot. <laughs> uh, nothing that I know can help you with your car ever, unless you're like, uh, hey, I've got a flat tire. Does anyone here know a lot about the Cosby show? And then you'll be like, oh, perhaps I could be of some assistance. <laughs> I'm one of the worst drivers I've ever seen, and I just want you all to know that if you're ever on the highway behind me, uh, I hear you honking, and I also don't want me to be doing what I'm doing. I don't like that I'm in that lane either, and I sure would like to get out of it. I was on the highway in Texas recently, which was like a highway filled with 13-year-olds, and I was in the far left lane. And I was going in the far left lane, and then it turned into a U-turn only lane. And I started to make a U-turn, but then I panicked because I didn't want to make a U-turn. So I put the car in reverse and then merged right back onto the highway. 
the best thing about that was that after that, cars were pulling up and looking over to see who just did that piece of s*** move. Expecting to see, like, a hundred-year-old blind dog who's texting while driving and drinking a smoothie. Instead, they see a 28-year-old healthy man trying his best. John Mulaney from his album, New in Town. After a break, comedy from Kyle Kinane and Paul F. Tompkins. Plus, Tig Notaro gets some startling news. We're doing the ultrasound. We're like, oh, we found a lump. I was like, oh, no, that's my boob. <laughs> they were like, no, 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 we, we found a lump on the other side, too. I was like, yeah, I got one over there, too. It's the Bullseye Comedy Special from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Public Radar International. Have a favorite Bullseye segment? It's easy to share it with your friends. You can find links to our page on SoundCloud at MaximumFun.org. It's the Bullseye Comedy Special. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're hearing selections from the best comedy specials and comedy albums released in 2012, as picked by our staff. You can find our full list with links at MaximumFun.org. Maria Bamford is one of our comedy heroes here at MaximumFun.org. The Bammer, which is what we like to call her, has been to every Max Fun Con ever. She hosts an open mic every year, helping beginners overcome their fears of performing in front of an audience. Maria taped a new special this year, and she did it in front of maybe her toughest crowd ever, which is to say her parents, just the two of them literally sitting on Maria's couch. So uh, I wanted to teach you guys how to play a new game, something me and my family play. Oh, wait a minute. You are my family. Uh, I, uh, and probably other people play it, but we call it joy whack-a-mole. What happens is that somebody brings up something that they're really happy about, and then the other person tries to slam it down before they ever feel too good about what's going on in their lives. I was playing with my dad recently. Uh, dad, check out this new jacket. Oh, it's very nice. Yeah, guess how much? <clears throat> I don't know, a hundred bucks. No, ten. <gasps> That's a good deal. Yeah, you got that right. It's like 10 bucks. How do they do it? Oh, I was reading about that. Slavery. Yeah. <clears throat> they put the manufacturing on these people. There's no labor laws. Human rights violations. Of the, no environmental protection. And then they pass the savings on to you. It's a pretty sweet jacket, though, Dad. My sister and I play occasionally. Sarah, I think I met somebody. Good for you. That's one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll see what happens. That's great. <laughs> Are you sure you haven't projected a fantasy on a trisexual strange you met on PetFinder.uk? <laughs> you like them gay and out of town. <laughs> that happened like twice. That's not even a pattern. <laughs> My mom is the king of this game, though. Mom, Amy had her baby. Oh, that is great news, honey. I mean, it's not the greatest news for the 600,000 kids in foster care, but if she wants a fresh one, <laughs> oh, jeez. Everybody wants one that looks like them. It's so selfish. Mom, I'm, I'm doing a show tonight. Sweet, I got a joke for you. A friend of mine, she's so funny. 
funny. She said you could use it. She, coincidentally, she was in foster care. She had been airlifted out of the Sudan in the late 90s because she had been bearmed and belegged by the Janjawi, the horseback militia. She loved to do stand-up, but she can't. Oh, oh. And it's really a hospice situation. It's just a matter of time. But the priest comes in, and he asks her, Would you like us to light a candle for you in the chapel? She says, sassy as you please, teletyping through her eyelids. <laughs> well, how many candles you got? <laughs> because so many horrible things have happened to her and keep happening. Sweetie, have a good show tonight. What you do is so important. <laughs> Maria Bamford from her aptly titled stand-up special, The Special Special Special. In August, the obviously very brilliant stand-up comedian Louis C.K. wrote the following on Twitter. In 27 years doing this, I've seen a handful of truly great, masterful stand-up sets. One was Tig Notaro last night. The performance was in Los Angeles at a club called Largo. Tig had had a really, really crazy year, and she decided to talk about it on stage. It was sad, moving, and super, super funny all at the same time. She kicked things off with a surprising announcement, one that the crowd didn't even really believe at first. I have cancer. How are you? Hi, how are you? Is everybody having a good time? I have cancer. How are you? Ah, it's a good time. Diagnosed with cancer. (sighs) Feels good. Just diagnosed with cancer. Oh, my God. It's weird because with humor, the equation is tragedy plus time equals comedy. I am just at tragedy right now. That's just where I am in the equation. Oh, it's fine. I, uh, well, I'll, here's what happened. I went, I'm going to get, it's very personal. Found a lump. Guys, relax. Everything's fine. I have cancer. Found a lump. Got a mammogram. You know, they're doing the ultrasound. They're like, oh, we found a lump. I was like, oh, no, that's my boob. <laughs> they were like, no, 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 we, we found a lump on the other side, too. I was like, yeah, I got one over there, too. Those are my boobs. Um, I ended up getting biopsies, uh, which is painful. feels like being stabbed. I felt like I'd been rear-ended all day and then just dropped off back at my house. I couldn't move or anything. Um, and it was just, it was so like, intrusive and horrible. And I was just like, God, after all of these like ice pick stabbing feelings, I better have cancer. 
somebody over here just keeps going, oh. <laughs> oh, I think she might really have cancer. Who, who's taking this really bad? Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's gonna be okay. It might not be okay, but I'm just saying. It's okay. You're gonna be okay. I don't know what's going on with me. I was walking in my bedroom. I saw this little picture of myself uh, when I was five. And I had a bowl haircut. I was like, not that anything's changed. I was just realizing that after I said that. So I saw this picture and I picked it up and I was just like, I, I, honestly, I wasn't even thinking. I just saw the picture on my dresser and I picked it up and I go, you're going to get cancer. <laughs> and then I just walked off from the photo and I was just sitting there with my bowl haircut and suspenders on going, <laughs> just smiling so big, no idea <laughs> what cancer was. When I was after I got um, after I got diagnosed, I um, sir, <laughs> this should not tickle you so much. I'm not that happy and comfortable. <laughs> so after I got I got the well, basically after the. Uh, after I had seen the doctor and they were like, you know, everything looks uh, like it's very probable that you have it. I, I, was, uh, <laughs> I was walking home and this man walked next to me and he just, he was staring very closely at my face and he was just like, sir, sir, <laughs> sir. And usually I have a sense of humor about that. But after the news I had just gotten that I probably have breast cancer... And he's just like, sir, sir. I was just like, I just got diagnosed with breast cancer in both breasts. That's how much I'm not a man. I mean, I know men can get it, but it, it was just like, I was just, I was just not, not today. Not a man. If I have a double mastectomy... Maybe six months from now, I will answer to sir. <laughs> After I've had what I like to think of as my forced transition. <laughs> but not now. And it's been very weird, like, trying to talk to friends. I literally got diagnosed just a few days ago, and uh, it felt so weird to just... Uh, my show was booked last week, and, uh, and that's when it was looking like uh, this was going to be the case. And then we, we moved the date and, um, and uh, just to kind of process things. And just trying to hang out and talk to friends, it's so frustrating because nobody will casually talk to me now. Like, not even tell me about just boring day-to-day -day details. You know, they'll be like, oh, the ah, never mind. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, what? Somebody talk to me. I'm like, no, no, it's just, it, uh, no. Or they're like, oh, I had a rotten day. And I'm like, oh, what happened? No, it's, 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 nothing. I, I, I don't have cancer. I just, you know. 
know. It doesn't matter. Just somebody talk to me. Please. My time is limited. Oh. Tignataro from her special, Live. The Bullseye Comedy Special, I'm Jesse Thorne. Before he was a full-time comic, Kyle Kinane worked almost every job there is, at warehouses, at gas stations. He even, at one point, sold cake decorations. I can't believe I made it anywhere creatively, though, because I was raised by uh, two loving and supportive parents, and uh, nothing squashes creativity more than unconditional love and support (laughs) from a functional household. If you have kids, on their dreams a little bit. Not all the way, but enough. Give them some friction. You need to give them something to fight against. I was supposed to be a musician, but I didn't get that friction. I wanted to be a musician. 16 years old. Just, I'm starting a punk rock band. Screw you guys. My mom's like, oh, you can practice in the basement. I'm like, chili dip for your friends. No! We practiced in the basement. Remember, right? This song's gonna take down the whole Bush regime. Bass player was like, Is your mom making that really good chili dip? Damn it, Greg! Would you focus on the anarchy at hand? We only got to 11 till we gotta shut it down. Anarchy closes at 11 in the suburbs. I'm from the suburbs. I think there's some credit. Uh, do to anybody that made it out of the suburbs because that's a creeping oppression that you don't realize. It's not a glaring, clear oppression. I mean, you grow up in the inner city and that's bullets whizzing over your head. You're like, I'm just going to join a gang and deal drugs and I'm going to get shot right in front of my mama's house. And that's how life is in the streets. But there's one guy like, no, I'm going to be a playwright and I'm going to take this story to Broadway and I'm going to make it. I'm going to get out of here. And you grow up in the countryside and you just till the fields, sun up till sundown. And then when you die, they just take your body and they put it right in the field because it's fertilizer, makes the corn grow higher. So you're just like... I'm going to be a dancer. And you move to the big city, and you make it as a dancer. But you grow up in the suburbs, and it's just like, well, we can drive around smoking pot, talk about that philosophy class that we took at community college. And, you know, if you keep ordering stuff at Denny's, they can't kick you out. So as long as we get, as long as we get like, coffee, we get, like, coffees or French fries, we can just hang out there until, like, holy shit, I'm 35! You know, you don't... You don't realize that's right there. Kyle Kinane from his album, Whiskey Icarus. Speaking of day jobs, Paul F. Tompkins got super bored working at a video store when he was younger. And he decided to get creative. So I started stealing. (laughs) That really livened things up at the old workplace. Worked like a charm. I stole videotapes. I prided myself at the time that I only stole merchandise. I did not steal money from the register. I was no common thief, you see. I was a gentleman bandit. Stealing these wares and giving them to my friends. And it was all to get back at this store. Who had committed the sin of hiring me, right? So whenever I'd be working, I was feeling bitter. I'd like steal a videotape, like, that's what you get, video store. 
I'll teach you. So time passes. I'm not getting any less bitter, and I'm also not getting caught. So eventually, I'm stealing two to three videos a shift. Every time I walked into that store, I would walk out with a few movies, right? I would get there five minutes early for work, and I'd walk up and down the aisles. I was shopping, just like everybody else. It's like, what It looks good to me tonight? What looks bad? Who cares? You cannot beat the price. So my girlfriend at the time was becoming very concerned that I was going to get caught as the stack on the coffee table was growing higher and higher. She said, I don't know. This is bad. You're going to get caught. And I said, honey, you don't understand. This is all taken care of. And in my mind, it was. Because one day, I'd overheard two of my colleagues talking. And the one said to the other, well, you know, they expect you to steal in retail. That's why they pay you so little. This is all my bitter ears needed to hear. Oh, I didn't realize there was an arrangement. I have been woefully lax in upholding my end of the bargain. Allow me to rectify this toot sweet. So I say to my girlfriend, honey, don't you know about the arrangement in retail? They expect you to steal. That's why they pay you so little. I got this all figured out. If they catch me, it's no big deal. Here's what's going to happen. Let's role play it. You be the manager. I'll be me. She says, we know you've been stealing videotapes. I say, oh, I will not work for any company who accuses me of being a thief. You may consider this my resignation. I'm out of there. They get rid of the guy who's stealing stuff. I get to save face. It's all part of the arrangement. (laughs) A year goes by. I am doing this for a year. (laughs) One day the manager calls me into his office. Have a seat. We know you've been stealing videotapes. Ah, the moment has been prepared for. I knew exactly what to do. Now, admittedly, I was not expecting this to happen today. So it was a little off my game. I did not go into my plan right away. I had to improvise in the moment. So what I did was I immediately broke eye contact. And I sent a hot rush of blood to my face and ears. Because that's when I remembered that stealing is wrong. All the time. I couldn't justify this in any way. I did not have a bunch of babies at home who ate videotapes. I was just mad because I had to have a job. Certainly it's not part of any business model, right? There's no, no one that starts a business that says, what do we do if people steal from us? I don't know, pay them less? Ooh, you're good at business. <laughs> so as the manager watched, I was made to write and sign a confession. This is some classic getting yelled at stuff. I might as well be in my Catholic school uniform, right? <laughs> Dear video store, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee. Please don't be mad. I want to go to heaven. (laughs) 
So I turn in my confession, and I go to leave, and then I am just bombarded by all these thoughts. You know, what am I doing with my life? I wanted to do stand-up comedy. Now I'm being fired for stealing from a place? Who am I? What am I doing? What is happening? So as I'm having this existential crisis, the manager says, and hey, don't ever come back. <laughs> I think I got it. <laughs> I think when I was writing out I stole stuff from here. It dawned on me I was probably not welcome back anytime soon. <laughs> Believe me, I will not be showing up here in a week's time. Well, I'm assuming that's all blown over. <laughs> What's up? It's me, the guy who got fired for stealing stuff from here. Anything good or new releases? <laughs> Keep an eye on me. <laughs> Paul F. Tompkins from his album Laboring Under Delusions. That's it for this week's Bullseye. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Julia Smith. Our senior producer, Nick White. Our intern, Lindsay Pavlis. Special thanks this week to Lindsay for listening to those 10,000 hours of stand-up comedy albums. Our interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. Look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud, where you can share your favorite segments with your friends. I guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. Support for this program comes from this station and public radio international stations nationwide and is made possible in part by the PRI Program Fund, whose contributors include the Ford Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. PRI Public Radio International.